If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. Dean Mackin on today's News Talk TNT Radio. And welcome back to the program. Uh, a lot happening this hour, so I'd love you to stick around. And again, just a reminder, if you're not watching, if you're only listening, you are on holidays, get into the front uh, room and uh, fire up the smart TV, get YouTube going, type in uh, TNT Radio live stream. It is literally that easy to do it a whole new dimension to TNT Radio. And they put a hell of a lot of work into it. And I have to admit, it does look absolutely phenomenal. So do that and uh, encourage others to tune in as well. We would love it if you have the time. Uh, ben Suda is someone I'll be talking to a little bit later this hour. And I'm very much looking forward to this particular subject of the XL bully dog and, um, you know, banning entire breeds of dogs but for the wrong reasons, I think the wrong people uh, tend to go after certain breeds of dogs so they can use them as tools to extend what is typically uh, uh, maybe a shortcoming that they have to extend their manhood. Uh, we do get some nasty owners of things like pit bulls here in Australia. Yeah, we have XL bullies in Australia as well. I didn't realise until I mentioned it to my brother uh, who said a couple of his mates have them. So there you go. They have them. Uh, I've met one of his mates. It made sense. Um, but uh, certainly you have good people that own these dogs, and uh, I would suggest if they are brought up by a terrific owner, the dogs would be terrific, and to have to go and uh, get a, a knock at the door because you forgot to get some sort of exemption for your animal to say, well, we're taking your dog away to be euthanised, I would be absolutely horrified. But you would also be equally, if not more horrified, in fact, you would be more horrified if your child were to have their face or, you know, pulled off, as I've seen in in uh, some things, uh, some videos that are more than horrific, uh, or people have been possibly killed by these animals as well. But I think it always comes back to what I said before about who was the person who trained that dog or didn't train that dog, depending on your perspective. The other person I'll be talking to besides Ben Suter about that is Kerry Murray, is uh, somebody from the, in fact, the founder of United Free Press, a professional photographer, somebody who spent some time with Katie Hopkins and a bunch of other people. I did read the whole Substack article, which was so well written and so well photographed. Uh, a couple of photographs that weren't weren't there due to a rather bit of anecdotal <laughs> things that were written about in the article. I'll bring that up with uh, Kerry. We'll have a bit of a laugh about that as well. But uh, really such a person who gets inside the psyche, a person who seems to have great intuition and does terrific art articles and, of course, um, photographs. Now, something that I would like to talk about is cyber attacks. We're hearing about them all the time and people are like, why is this still happening? Why? Because their IT person just needs to be better than yours. That's all it comes down to. It is that easy. There's always a backdoor if you understand how IP works and firewalls and ports. It's really not as complicated as you might imagine, I um, I have been in IT a long time. There are stories that I can't tell you, but you'll just have to trust me. It is incredibly easy. Um, wow, back in 1995, 96, I could have shown anybody how to get into pretty much anybody's Windows XP computer, download their documents. It was so easy. It was so ridiculously easy. It's gotten more difficult over time. It's not hard. It's not that difficult to. But, of course, if you have a good a good IT uh, team, 
It is immensely hard, but not for the best in the business, but those who like to infiltrate. And sometimes it's not that you have to get in via a firewall. You don't have to push your way. You don't have to brute force your way into somebody's system. You can let them do all the hard work for you by sending them an email that they click on that has an attachment that activates, runs a script or runs a program that does all the hard work for you and then gives remote access and even lets the people who wrote it know that your computer is now available. Log in, check out, you know, they can watch you via your webcam, download your documents, delete your hard drive. They can do whatever they like. And uh, many people, unfortunately, um, have people that work for them who aren't that switched on IT-wise. I mean, the most common thing, if, if, if some people will get a bill, let's say from AGL Energy, because many people here in Australia use AGL, and they will open that bill despite the fact that they may be someone who doesn't even use AGL. Likewise, I get ANZ bank ones all the time. I've never banked with the ANZ. Uh, it's very easy to spot one of these things, even easier. If you have a link on a computer, you only have to hover the mouse over that link and it will show you where it's really going to go. For example, if I get a thing from AGL, typically, if I hover that thing, it should be, you know, HTTPS, blah, 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 agl.com forward slash blah, blah. That's what it should be. But of course, if it's, um, you know, my random website or, you know, I've just hacked whoever.com and you know, insert whatever you want into that, if you will, um, quite frankly, don't be surprised if your, your details are compromised. They typically do a very bad job of impersonating the uh, website. It really looks horrific. And the emails are rather easy to spot. But sometimes you get the ones who are quite good. Um, people, again, not just fear, as we found over the last three years, will overcome your sense of logic. But sometimes panic. Oh, someone says I owe them $1,000. I don't have $1,000. I have to click on that straight away and get to the bottom of this. Before you know it, you're infected. Too late. Done. But I'm talking about this Victorian court system. Uh, they've got some ransomware. That's where they get into your computer. They run a program in the background. It encrypts all your documents with encryption that you just won't break. Absolutely, you are not going to break. And at the end of it, It'll change your background image, for example, to something that says, hi, we are so-and-so, and if you transfer us, you know, 2000 up to, let's say, a million dollars in Bitcoin, depending on who it is they've hacked, uh, we'll give you the decryption key and you can get all your data back. Uh, fortunately, a lot of these people have very good backups. They simply change all the passwords, go to a backup that's an hour or a day old, and problem solved. But the, the, the problem is sometimes the information that's out there, it's not a matter of you getting it back. You don't want it out there in the ether. And the Victorian court system has lost a lot of videos and documents um, that are now out there. They're saying they're Russian hackers. Well, unless they said, you know, hi, I'm Russian and we want some ruble, uh, that's not going to happen. They probably want Bitcoin. They want some anonymous cryptocurrency. There's no way of knowing where they're from. Of course, you can use a VPN to protect wherever you're from. But the point I'm trying to make in this is that um, here they are trying to blame this on the Russians again with absolutely no evidence, I would imagine, because if you're, if you're this good, you're probably likely to run this through a bunch of service and VPNs, and uh, you're not likely to tell them where you're from. Why would you? just makes them easier to find you. I would imagine you would uh, throw them a, a bit of misleading information. You could be in Korea, for example, and they would think you're somewhere else. But I'm just sick of uh, all these cyber attacks and they typically blame, uh, you know, tell us, you know, that we are at risk, we're at risk. It's it's unin uninformed, uneducated employees that often make these simple mistakes that allow anybody in to even the most well-protected network. And um, that seems to be the problem. We need to educate people better 
about what they can and can't click on, what they should and shouldn't click on, and how they should think when they see an email that would immediately call them to action. Think before you act. Look, look before you leap. I think that might be the way that we do that. Now, do you have a suggestion? And we would love one, by the way, because we love the best guests that suit you. So if you have a suggestion for a possible guest that you'd like to hear or see here at TNT Radio, perhaps you have a topic that you feel that we're not discussing that we should. Well, if you do, then we want to hear from you. Simply suggest via the website, um, get onto the suggestions page on the tntradio.live and we'll make a difference via you here at TNT Radio. Connecting the dots, painting the bigger picture. They always have great conversation. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And we are joined by the wonderful Gemma Cooper. Hey, Gem. Hello, Dean. I'm really delighted to hear that you've got Kerry Murray on the show later, founder of the United Free Press, because uh, for years and years and years, I was a fully paid up member of the Matrix, as I've discussed with you. Um, and I was a member of a, a, a journalist union here in the UK. Um, and now I'm a member of one of the founding members, along with Kerry, of the United Free Press. I was one of the first few to join. And it, it really is an indication of how people are shifting away from, you know, so-called legacy media into the new media. Um, and he's really done an amazing thing with the United Free Press. And that It'd be good to have him on talking about all of that and how people are shifting away and turning towards new sources of news and information, just like here on TNT. Well, when I went on to uh, Kerry's Substack, just so I could get an idea of what to expect today, I was immediately captivated by a story about Katie Hopkins, who, who you know, we work with, who, who we absolutely, uh, who I love. I absolutely couldn't be happier about doing the show leading up to Katie Hopkins' program. I, I, I am enamoured by it. She is that wonderful and uh, a, a household name, not just in the UK, but certainly here in Australia. And he did a terrific article, a really insightful article on her, but so well written. And then you look at the photographs and it's like, well, who took the photographs? Wow. And it was Kerry. Kerry did the lot. So Kerry is terrific. And I, I'm going to ask Kerry, I would imagine Kerry, if he hasn't, uh, may have written a, a novel because, wow, the writing is just so good. It's just um, just out of the box. So I, too, am excited about having Kerry Murray on the program a little bit later, Jim. Yeah, he's great. He's a great guy. He really is. And he, he lives in my neck of the woods as well. So, yeah, I'm very oh. fortunate. Yeah, yeah, I know. You'll have I to know. catch up you- for a coffee. Would you like me to see if I can hook that up? Uh, well, uh, actually, weirdly enough, because when I heard earlier that you were talking about him, you're going to have him on, I'm going to send him a little message now, a little good luck message. And um, yeah, it's funny how the universe brings the right people together at the right time, because I was one of my, I was one of, the, well, me and another woman here in North Somerset, we got together and we formed our local stand in the park. And then that's how Kerry came along. And that's how we all met. And then Kerry did went on and did this great thing with uh, with the United Free Press and and, and, the, and the, the photographs, which I know he'll talk about. I'm not going to give anything away, um, but he's photographed a lot of people in the freedom movement but yeah you just live down the road from me and you're like the universe works in very mysterious and very beautiful ways doesn't it it really does you know sometimes the uh, degree of separation between people can just be that one leap but it's amazing how the truth is what is bringing most of us together in times that i, I don't think any of us could have imagined two or three definitely four decades ago um many of us doing things i mean i certainly wouldn't be doing what i'm doing today in the media had it not been for the for the world change. Yeah, I had a very successful uh, and still do a very successful career doing other things. But uh, when you didn't see enough people in the mainstream media here in Australia, in fact, hardly anybody saying or going uh, far enough, 
I thought, well, I'll do that. I don't care. I don't care what people want to have a crack at me or whatever. I just couldn't care less. So I'm going to get on there so I can look my son and other people's kids in the eyes and say, you know what, at least I I gave it a crack and and I did. That's why I found myself here. And that's what's drawing us all together, that thing where we, we have to speak the truth, Jim, and the consequences be damned. Absolutely. And just, you know, before I get onto this story, which is very, very relevant actually to what we're talking about, about the mainstream and what it does and doesn't do. Um, you know, the universe is not just bringing people together on a small level, like where, where I live, you know, Kerry Murray was on my doorstep and he found a United Free Press and I joined the organization. Amazing, but it's bringing us together. The universe is bringing us together globally. I'm talking to you from a studio here in the UK. You're on a studio in Australia, but the, the universe is bringing us all energetically to right where we need to be. Uh, all of us around the world and all the skills and talents that we use in the first half of our lives or in our old lives, we're now bringing to the table in, in the new, building the new. And I know there will be many people on the chat that can relate to that because I've spoken to so many people in the last few years who said exactly that. I've ditched my old life and now I'm doing what I feel I was here to do. And the skills I've learned in my old life are seeing me now for the reason I'm put on this planet. I've had so many people say that to me, Dean. I don't know if you have in the in the in the freedom movement, alternative movement, however you want to describe it, but I've had literally hundreds of people say that to me. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And I mean, technology is such a wonderful thing. Again, bringing us together in real time, being able to do this program rather than have to drive like I used to have to two hours down to Sydney fight the traffic, have to leave four hours early just to hope I didn't get in some sort of traffic jam to go to a show. And you could only typically do it, uh, especially on video, with anybody who was sitting next to you. Technology is our friend. And as long as we don't let those who would work it against us. But uh, they're trying their best, Gemma. They're trying to uh, tackle technology and uh, stop us from speaking. But uh, we won't go quietly into the night. What have you got for us, Gemma? Well, it's the, it's the biggest elephant in the smallest room, a story that won't ever go away. And it's, it's just more statistics to back up what we already know, but they're out this morning. Um, and that in the UK, it's this morning here in the UK, obviously, I know it's afternoon where you guys are. Uh, but there's a, there has been a series of doctor strikes here in the UK and they, they're Junior doctors are due to walk out again tomorrow for six days. Now, this will be the longest strike in the history of the NHS since it was founded. And um, health experts are saying, you know, the fact that the doctors keep walking out is leading to a record number of, you've guessed it, excess deaths. Now, we've got the official figures for 2023. They've just been released. Um, data from the Office for National Statistics has been analysed by one of the <clears throat> mainstream outlets. Now, you could say, well, that's a really good thing. You know, you're doing your job. Let's have a look at the excess deaths. Uh, so the number is officially for the UK, uh, 53,000 more people died in 2023 than normal. Now, this is highest figures since uh, 1940, since World War II, since before the NHS was actually founded. They haven't included the um, pandemic, scamdemic years in that. But that in itself, you look at those figures, 53,000 excess deaths, it's a thousand extra deaths a week. Now, you'd be thinking that they, they would now, right, they've done their job, they've analysed the figures, they've crunched it down, thousand extra deaths a week. That's the official figures for 2023. But no, they're hanging it on the junior doctor's strikes because there's one tomorrow and there's due to be this walkout. Um, they have said, health experts have said, well, look, it is actually the impact of the, uh, the the COVID years, the scandemic, the pandemic, lockdowns, and the resulting long waiting list because of lockdowns. They've all contributed to the excess deaths. You're thinking, all right, brilliant. Alicia said the word lockdown, which we all knew were terrible ideas, terrible ideas. But nowhere have they looked and analysed or even linked 
vaccine damage, vaccine injury. They haven't even asked the question. And I just think this is indicative. We're talking about, you know, uh, you were saying about, you know, you're doing what you're doing now because the mainstream wasn't doing its job. It's obviously still not doing its job. And I think we kind of have to admit that the, the stable door is firmly shut now. The horse is bolted. And I don't think we will ever get a mainstream outlet, which is why we're so needed, to talk about vaccine damage, vaccine injury, or even entertain someone who might approach them saying, you know, I'm vaccine damaged, I'm vaccine injured, and I'm by far from the only one. Now, we have got this landmark case uh, coming this year, hopefully this, against AstraZeneca, uh, the two people bringing their cases through the High Court uh, under the UK Consumer Protection Act uh, so to get the, the pharmaceutical companies to admit liability or to prove that the, the products, if you want to call them that, that they were flogging globally were absolutely not just not fit for purpose. They were downright dangerous. Now, that will that will open the floodgates, I think, to, to where the mainstream cannot ignore the amount of people coming through the court system saying, right, now we've had one precedent set, that, that's it, all bets are off. I'm coming through. I'm coming through with my story. Um, but, you know, 53,000, but no, no, no. They're looking for any hook to hang it on, and they're hanging it on the, the junior doctor strike tomorrow, this six-day walkout. hasn't even happened yet, but they're saying that the excess deaths should be blamed <laughs> on that. Yeah, no, it really is crazy. But, I mean, the numbers are so dispar disproportionate. The anomalies are so obvious. Now, it really doesn't matter. I think people have made up their minds, certainly though the, the half that can think the rest, yeah, you're right, they're going to have to be told straight directly by the same people who told them that it was safe and effective until those same people say, sorry, we made a mistake, they'll never admit it to themselves or others. But uh, sadly, the numbers uh, do speak very loudly and um, it's something we're going to have to contend with into the future. Gemma Cooper, appreciate you very, very much. Uh, you'll be back later tonight in other programs and, of course, you'll be joining me tomorrow here at TNT Radio. I'll catch you then, Gem. Have a good day, Dean. Have a good Coming evening. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's still, it's still light outside. It is uh, 621 where I am here in Sydney. Coming up after the break, Ben Suda, Deputy Chairman uh, of Dagenham and, Rain and Rainham uh, Conservative Association. And we're going to talk about XL bully dogs. And I would absolutely love to talk about this because I say there's no such thing as a bad kid, just a bad parent. But I don't think that's very different when it comes to dogs. But uh, we'll have a good old chat with Ben coming up after the break. TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg. 13 Israeli hostages released uh, as part of that ceasefire deal uh, 49 days after they were taken hostage. 49 days. So that still leaves about 225 to 227 more hostages. Uh, I'm with John Bolton, the former National Security Advisor to Donald Trump. I'm with Britt Hume of, uh, of Fox News. I'm with a bunch of other people who say this gives Hamas too much time to do whatever they want to do, to do whatever they need to do, to regroup, to rearm, to re-strategize. And as much as you want the hostages back, it can't be at the expense of the other part of the mission, which is to destroy Hamas. So I think it's a mistake. Steve Malsberg on TNT Radio. The Light is Britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies. No, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles, and read back issues on our website, thelightpaper.co.uk, and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. They've launched a new service called Wake Up Your Neighbours, where you can get copies delivered to the streets right around you if you don't want to do it yourself. The Light Paper. Not for right, just right so far. 
thelightpaper.co.uk. So many people who had no history of heart illnesses have got it now, or blood clotting after the COVID-19 vaccination. Punish those who hurt people with COVID madness, lighting the fuse for freedom. TNT Radio. And welcome back to the program. My next guest, Ben Suter, is a deputy chairman of Dagenham and Raynham Conservative Association. He runs uh, localised campaigns in two London boroughs and stands up for residents, something that we need happening. Today, we're going to be having a chat about XL Bully Dogs. G'day, Ben. How are you going? Hi, Dean. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to talk about this. This is a really big issue over here. Now, Ben, I'll start off by saying I would be absolutely mortified if I bought a particular breed of dog I raised it correctly and somebody was to come and suggest just because other XL bully dogs had uh, acted badly um, that mine should be euthanized or that I should have to seek some sort of exemption to uh, have my dog not euthanized and to remain in my care. I find that absolutely horrific. I think maybe it's the people who train the bad bully dogs that they should be going after, but I would love your thoughts on the whole matter. I totally agree with you, Dean. Um, I mean, I have a bulldog. Um, we don't know if she actually is classed an XL buddy. We still need to get her measured up and everything. Uh, and this is the reality for so many people up and down the country. You get these dogs, um, they look after them as if they're their own children. And now they're being told by the government that they can't have these dogs unless they pay hundreds of pounds to either get them done, get exemptions, get them chipped. Um, you have to have a muzzle on. Um, I mean, it's just so sad. And the amount of time that's been given for this, especially during cost of living crisis, the government either need to scrap the ban altogether, which I support, or extend the ban, ex move it later on in the year. People need time to get the, to sort this out. Um, and, and yeah, I totally agree with you. The government needs to be going after the bad breeders, the bad owners with the bad intentions. 99% of people in the country get these bulldogs to look after them, to have them in their household with their family, looking after each other. And unfortunately, these these uh, these breeders and the owners that haven't got the good intentions letting everyone down. Now, Ben, could you imagine if I was to uh, get some data, some crime data, and there were certain groups who were more likely to be violent, and then I was to suggest that every body who's part of that group should be locked up prematurely because, well, statistically, I know that your group is more likely to be violent. Could you imagine the outrage if I was to go and suggest that? But here they are doing that with these particular dogs. And, I mean, it's funny, you know, without you know, going into specifics, if you showed me 10 bully dog owners, I could probably tell you which which four or which five bully dogs might be good or bad just based on, on those particular people. Some wear them, mm -hmm. uh, have the, these dogs as a fashion accessory, as an extension of their perceived manhood or whatever. But uh, good people bring up brilliant dogs. And this thing to me is it's more than horrific. It's like, you know, killing a family member. And to even suggest this, I, I think is horrific, but I have to always to understand, I mean, I have to look at it from the other perspective, which is if you had a little, a little daughter whose face had been half ripped off by one of these dogs, you would be mortified. You would want some action. But if they're listening, anyone like that's listening, I would say, well, you should listen to what I said before, because I would guarantee you that 99 times out of a hundred where that is the case, the owner is to blame. I totally agree with you. And this is the real crux of the issue. I mean, any dog can buy it. It depends on who's looking after that dog. Um, like I, I saw a, a video of a poor girl having her arm like grabbed by one of these XL yeah. dogs. But where's the owner? Where's the owner in that circumstance? And that's the real issue. 
The government's been regulating breeding of these dogs, making sure that the people who are breeding them are the sort of people who want breeding them. We don't want them being sold on Facebook and Gumtree. And this is where the other issue lies, is that we've got unregulated selling of these dogs. I could breed 10 XL Billy dogs with any intentions I like, put them on Facebook for 1,500 quid, and they'll be gone. I don't know what's going to happen to those dogs in the future. I don't know if they've been responsibly sold to people who really want to look after the dog, have it in the house, or if they want to use it to fight smaller dogs and have it in um, in gambling rings. You, you never know. Uh, and unfortunately, the government is just trying to get the issue sorted rather than actually doing a good job. They're doing half a job. Yeah. I mean, I... Doing a good job would be sorting out the breeding, sorting out the bad owners, and that's what they need to do. And then it would be as easy as making a rule saying that there is a, a £20,000 £20, fine if you are caught um, walking, let's say, as, I don't even mind them doing this, a certain breed of dog off a leash, for example. I'm not too fussed if someone's walking down the street with their pug or their chihuahua, but there are certain type of physically strong breeds that maybe that, that and that would be fair. We have, I don't think too many people would have a problem with that. The other thing that they could do would be suggest that people who own particular breeds of dogs um, have an inspection on their premises so that their dog couldn't possibly get out. Now, I've only got at the moment two pugs. I used to have two cattle dogs. They would absolutely never have hurt anyone in their, in their 16 years that they lived and uh but i always had things in place i've got two gates and you've got to get through one close it behind you before you get to the second one there is no way on god's earth those dogs were ever getting out onto the street and it would be as simple as that and um to go and down the track of euthanizing uh, these animals i think is way overkill i i agree and in this uh, in this legislation uh in this exemption scheme if you have your dog exempt there's no assessment. So actually, this isn't really doing anything. This isn't taking bad XLB dogs off the street. Anything is creating a black market. It's creating a black market for these dogs. When you could, as I say, have a green market, you have registered breeders who breed these dogs, and you're not having anyone with bad intentions at that stage. You get the people. What I think they should do is set up a, um, a, a policing team to actually sort this out. Not with just XL bully dogs, but other band breeds. Um, but they won't do that. And, and that's the real issue in all this. There's so many flaws in legislation. There's no assessment, no assessment for your dog through this exemption scheme. So I could be, I could have three XL bully dogs. They could be as rabid as anything, but I could get them all exempt with no assessment of my dog. So what's the point of it? What's the, yeah. what's the point of having, having a band if I could have three rabid, huge XL bully dogs and none of them be assessed? So and, and, the legislation just doesn't work. And then that's a problem. So you've just in, introduced common sense into an equation where it's all about posturing and pretending you're doing something that is not going to be effective. The whole point is what we want, what you and I both want, is a good result. And that good result is bad people can't own good dogs and that young kids and, and women and, well, I guess adults and people in general um, aren't going to be harmed. And I think somewhere in between there's a, a very common sense solution to all of this. And we may get to that on the other side of the news headlines. Ben Suda, if you could hang around, we'll be back after this short break. You're listening to TNT Radio, everyone. News, news. There is a difference. What's on the schedule for today? A little less yappity yap and a little more news. Yay. Now, TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. South Korea's chief opposition leader has been stabbed in the neck while speaking with reporters in Korea's second largest city. Fighting has picked up in Ukraine with both sides stepping up attacks against the other. 
It appears Israel's bowed to pressure from Washington, announcing it's pulling thousands of soldiers out of Gaza. And it's been revealed a pilot who was killed in a mid-air crash involving two helicopters in Australia last year had cocaine in his system. The common housefly, caught in the clutches of the spider's web. Every move it makes just makes matters worse. Then, dinner time. Feast on the captivating stories, videos, and helpful information on our website. Whoa. Dinner's ready. Oh, man. Escape is futile. Just one more video. Get stuck in our web. TNTradio.live. Just get it over and done with. And I thought, oh, we're back. We were talking about uh, drinking on <laughs> Get it over and done with. I was talking about my, myself and drinking Chardonnay. I think I got caught out there un unawares. We're back with Ben Suda, who is an advocate for uh, people in a couple of uh, two London boroughs. He's part of the, in fact, he is the deputy chairman of Dagenham and Raynham Conservative Association. We're talking about XL Bully Dogs, the breed that uh, uh, people seem to be having problems with. But again, I'm suggesting, and Ben concurs, it is the owner of these. And we're, we're going to look at some common sense uh, solutions to this problem. And I want to ask you about, you know, this exemption that they want people to apply for. Ben, I mean, is it simply just fill out the form, send it in, and you're exempt? Because if that is the case, what is the point? Exactly. So the, the government, um, on through the website, you can apply for this exemption scheme. You have to pay £93, um, and they will review your, your assessment, and, and, and they will approve it or, or not approve it. From what I see, the, the government is approving most of them. Um, and, and this is what... I was just saying before the break is that right we can have this exemption scheme but if there's no proper assessment done you are putting through and approving all these dogs all they're, they're they're fine those ones are fine they can be exempt but nobody knows no no, no one from the government has seen that dog no one from the rspca has said oh that dog is um safe that dog can be around children that dog can do this that dog can do that um so it's just, the, the whole thing is just so broad uh, and that's why the government needs to scrap it, really, and um, find a new um, new solution to the issue, which isn't just culling dogs. Uh, and this whole thing, I'll take your dog to the, uh, the vet to get it put down and we'll give you 200 quid. I just don't think that's good enough. It's uh, it's horrific. Maybe they could get some AI. Send in a photo of you and your dog. If the AI mm. detects three stripes down the side of your tracksuit pants, you're immediately in the, we're going to come out and take a closer look. And if you're wearing one of those bum bag things in the front, we're, we're definitely coming out. I think you, you know what I'm saying. But again, there's yeah. just certain, <laughs> certain people who just uh, like to use these dogs as some sort of tough fashion accessory and they are trained to act accordingly. Um, mate, is this thing likely to be repealed or is it just going to go uh, full steam ahead and it's just going to be a part of everyday life in parts of the UK? Unfortunately, I think it is. And um, we've, we've already seen the first stage of this um, this ban coming to place just, uh, just a couple of days ago, um, which means that you now can't have your XL bully dog out, in, uh, out of the house without a muzzle and a leash on um which i mean you see experts in sky news just yesterday saying it's not going to work this isn't going to work because most attacks like the, the vicious ones we see on camera and everything happen inside homes so the the legislation says that you can't have a dog outside with a muzzle without a muzzle and a leash, leash on but most of these attacks happen at home so they won't have to have their muzzle and leash on so they'll be able to rip into whatever they th anything they see anyway if, if if we're looking at it from the government's point of view they'll be able to do it anyway 
So uh, as I was, as I can continue to say, it's just so flawed. It's about making up a bit of legislation, say we've sorted it and they're pushing it through. And, and, and it's just sad. I mean, so, I mean, so many people who, uh, I spoke to someone the other day who's got two XLB dogs. Um, she said, I'll never vote for the Conservatives again. And, and we might, people who don't have XLB dogs might think, oh, this issue, just get them banned, sort them out, that's fine. But the party's actually turned their back on hundreds of thousands, uh, hundreds and thousands of voters um, who will never vote for us again because we're taking their children away. People see their dogs as their children. Yeah. Um, and and th- I think there's people who never forgive us or Rishi Sunak for what's happening. Yeah, well, no wonder Labor's likely to win at the next general election because uh, just like your Labor and our Labor here, the only difference is that they've put a U into your Labor, ours is spelled L-A-B-O-R, mm. probably because none of them have ever worked a day in their life, so we don't want to be associated with the word Labor. But, uh, mate, it's it's absolutely horrific, you know, this duopoly pretending to be conservative. Conservative uh, values have typically been uh, freedom of choice and allowing people to make common sense uh, choices in their life, but uh, seems to be flying out the window. Um, mate, so I'm going to ask you, and then I'll come up with one myself, if we wanted to solve this problem long term so we barely or if ever hear of a, a, a XL bully attack what do you think would be a good way of tackling it? Because I guarantee there would be a whole bunch of ways of of coming up with a, a solution that would cut these attacks down probably by not 98%. I totally agree. Um, the government, the current position is just wrong. It's not going to solve anything. What they should be doing is um, reg- uh, registering, having a licensed breeders of these uh, dogs. They should have like a bracket of certain dogs where you must be registered to have these dogs and you must sell them through official means creating actual platforms and markets to sell these things. Not, not Facebook marketplace, not Gumtree, where I can take a photo of my phone of any dog and put it on the internet and, and someone can buy it within an hour. It shouldn't be like that. Uh, the government should have that. And they should also, people who um, who have been ported, please should act on it instantly. Um, I, you see an attack of two XLB dogs on a man in a back garden. Um, and these dogs have been reported to the police before. The neighbor and the dogs, the dogs are out in the hallway, they're running out and the police haven't done anything. The police haven't gone and inspected anything. And this is the issue. People are reporting these dogs, but there's no action. So that'd be two ways. I, I just, common sense, really. You open a green market for it. So you don't have these people buying illegally and um, for bad intentions. And two, you answer the complaints that are made. You have the police go around there, you make the assessments and you sort out the issues that exist. I mean, just banning them and saying, you can't breed these dogs anymore. You can't have these dogs anymore. You, you can't sell them. You can't, uh, I mean, you see, I've seen today, uh, uh, one bully dog in Carl Shorten in South London has, um, has been found dead in the street, burned with its uh, with its legs tied um, and just dumped in the street. And these are the sort of people that got these uh, dogs in their hands. Any responsible owner wouldn't do that. And it just shows that we've got these uh, these dogs in the wrong people's hands, rather than the dogs are aren't are, are in the right place. Yeah, I agree. And it's so hypocritical of politicians. I mean, the worst thing you can be uh, is a racist. And that is the exact same thing as being a racist, but with animals to say that an entire breed is a certain way. Uh, And again, it's all about, you know, uh, with adults, you could argue it's culture. It's not about genetics. It's about culture. It's about how you grow up and the things you are 
told to believe or, or forced to believe as you grow up may change the way that you behave in certain circumstances. I would argue that uh, dogs are really no different, uh, except that maybe you can't explain in words to them uh, when they get it wrong. But apart from that, uh, Ben, I love what you're doing, Ben Souter, uh, and I'm sure that the people in the London boroughs that you represent would absolutely be enamoured by the work that you do, mate. Keep it up and uh, please let us know what, what happens and hopefully we get a good common sense outcome that benefits everybody when it comes to these particular dogs. I hope so too. I mean, I supported Richard from the start and I'm so, I'm very let down by all this, really. Very let down. I thought we'd, we'd, we'd turn on the new page of common sense politics, but um, evidently not. And Ben, if people would like to get in contact with you on social media, what's the best way to do that? Oh, I'm on Twitter, uh, but just Ben Suter, just type my name in and you can find me there. Brilliant. Mate, hopefully we'll do it again at some point. I'm sure there will be plenty for us to talk about in the future as this world continues to spiral into the mad, bizarro world that we find ourselves. Mm. Everybody, that's Ben Suter. Coming up after the break, we're going to be talking to Kerry Murray here at TNT Radio. Our beautiful world is changing, withering, dying by the hands of those who don't value nature, even though we all depend on it for life itself. But there is hope. Together with caring friends, the Nature Conservancy can restore our lands, heal our waters, and save our wildlife with big solutions only nature can provide. But every day we lose more of the places we love, and we urgently need to save endangered lands, waters, and wild species. The actions we take today will determine the tomorrow we leave to our children and grandchildren. The water they drink, the air they breathe, the beauty they experience. To learn more about how you can help protect and conserve our beautiful world, visit nature.org today. Meet Norm. He lives with anxiety. But with the help of this latest innovation from Be Normal, he can be normal. Just like everyone else. With the swipe of a finger, you can project happiness, confidence, machismo. Why settle for being real when you can be normal? The Normal Maker. New from Be Normal. This item doesn't really work because there's no such thing as normal. We're all different. What we like, how our brains work. In fact, one in five of us live with mental illness. Don't filter who you are. Start by talking to someone you trust. And remember, there is no normal. Dean Mackin on today's News Talk TNT Radio. And welcome back to the program. Yes, as you heard earlier, Gemma Cooper is very jealous that I, even though she can go just down the road and have, have a cup of tea or a coffee with Kerry Murray, my next guest, the simple fact is she is so enamoured by his abilities, as am I, after going on to his Substack, um, I can absolutely understand why. I went on to Substack. There was a bunch of articles called Portraits of the Resistance, and the one about Katie Hopkins immediately caught my eye, obviously, because I precede Katie Hopkins and I uh, think she's terrific here at TNT Radio, by the way. Um, and I read the article, and it was one of the most well-written articles. I mean, usually when you're reading something that well, it's a novel or something. It was so descriptive. It was so on point. And uh, every aspect of the writing was wonderful. Then I noticed how good the photos were. And now I'm thinking, I wonder who took the photos. And as I read on and then got to the bio after I'd finished reading, I realised he's not just a photographer. 
is a writer. In fact, I'll read the whole bio. It's rather impressive. Founder of the United Free Press is a professional photographer, prides himself on documenting the freedom rallies during the pandemic, and it certainly was that. He is a truth teller, a freedom fighter, a photojournalist, a radio host and writer, and of course, a proud father of two, which have, as a dad, we put above all of that, but what an immensely impressive bio. Uh, welcome to the program, Kerry Murray. Thanks so much, Dean. Great to be here. Hey, thank you. I, I, I love the little a little, little anecdote, you know, uh, about the memory card when you, when yeah. you took, when you took I the photos. I thought I, it was I, all over. I thought that was it. I, I, I did an interview, just, just quickly, I don't want to hijack your time, but I did a, an interview with one of the most high-profile high singers in the world once when I first started radio, and I forgot to hit the record button. And um, I don't think I'll, I'll, I'll ever get over that, and I, I won't even mention who it was. I'm sure they assume that went to... <laughs> I don't know. Mate, uh, the best mate, of us. Mate, uh, tell me what it was like me me meeting with uh, Katie Hopkins. Um, it was fantastic, actually. It was it was easy. It was it was great. Um, you know, getting a hold of Katie was the thing that was more difficult than actually meeting her was to try and make contact. But um, once I did, meeting her was great. It was um, it was a fantastic experience, and it's one of those things, you know, when you um, are kind of watching people online or listening to people who you think have got, you know, who have got a platform, who have got a voice and who are, um, or who were at the time at least speaking out about what was going on, um, you know, to meet people face to face is, um, is, is a great experience. And of course it's a kind of white of the eyes experience as well, because for me, I wanted to, um, I wanted to see what people were like. I wanted to see what they were really about and, and whether or not their, their kind of online persona matched how they were in person. Yeah, it really does tell you uh, not just a lot about a person, but what you can expect from a person moving forward yeah. as well. Uh, if you have intuition, use it or lose it, it will atrophy. Something that you've used to great effect ever since the pandemic. Um, what were you doing prior to that? And I'm guessing, I, I mean, I don't even have to ask this, I can tell you the type of person uh, who sees what's happening, can understand it and just absolutely was compelled to become part of the, the counter movement as to what they did to us over the last three years. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. It's, you've kind of hit the nail on the head, actually. I was working in, um, in corporate, in a corporate role. Um, and I worked and I've made a career of working in a corporate role, um, and did that for sort of 20 plus years. And then along comes, um, along comes COVID and, uh, and it sort of turned everything upside down, really. You know, I, I sort of went back to my roots, as it were, um, in photography, which is what I, I studied. Um, I wanted originally to be a photojournalist, um, and I saw an opportunity, really, to start to capture images from these protests and rallies, and really just from the time generally, um, because I saw that no one else was. And my concern at the time was that if, if we didn't capture this, if we didn't record this, if we didn't somehow... Um, uh, preserve what was going on, then it would quite easily be forgotten. And um, and I didn't want that to happen. Now, it's one thing to be a mechanically good photographer. It's one thing to be an insightful individual as well and to uh, pick the right photo, the right perspective. That timing is everything. And yet you have that gift. I I, watched, I looked at a bunch of photos um, that you've done, mate. The, the right man in the right place can just come up with some terrific photos. What are some of the more memorable moments that you've had from the behind-the-camera point of view? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, I think, for me, um, some of the most memorable times really were just um, engaging with people on the streets during protest. 
um, you know, that's kind of where I I wanted to be and um, I wanted to see the people that were turning out to these things. And so, you know, going along to protests and sort of getting in the thick of it, um, I, I wanted to to meet people really. I wanted to see what people were all about, what kinds of people were turning up. And um, so for me, the most memorable thing really was engaging with families, particularly. Um, you know, I noticed that when we were going along to protests, um, there were a load of families out, you know, fathers, children, mothers, and and all together um, of all ages. And, and that really spoke to me because it was a kind of values-based thing, really. I, I sort of saw that there were um, huge numbers of people, not just individuals, but families as well, that that kind of rejected the whole idea of of COVID and the whole premise of um, of the restrictions that we were under at the time. It, it's amazing. Um, you know, we say how bad we had it here in Australia, especially Melbourne. It went around the world. Yeah. I was talking to a guest earlier today who told me about Chile and that they had a two hour per week lockdown. You could not get outside the house. Yeah. for two hours uh, a week what was it like um in england tell tell us for those of us listening oh, from australia it, it was absolutely awful and it was awful everywhere right you know the moment anyone takes away um your fundamental right to move about to just live your life to go out to meet people to engage and to um to experience life um it's a terrible thing to have taken from you and i, I you know <clears throat> at the time i kind of imagined it a bit like going to prison when you've had everything stripped from you and you can no longer operate as a normal human being and, and that's what it felt like to me i i had this interesting experience very early on into lockdown um in the uk where we were allowed one hour of exercise a day which effectively meant one hour outside per day and uh, i took my hour and so i went for a run i went for a run in a big park near where i lived at the time and um sat down afterwards this is in the summer it was coming into summer and so i sat down in the sun for a few minutes and um and i noticed that i was being photographed so there was this photographer walking around with a mask on out in this in this park, um, and uh, and he was starting to approach me, and so he sort of stood maybe thirty feet away from me, and he was taking photographs of me with these two massive cameras hanging around him, mask up, and um, and it, he was asking me what I was doing out of the house, you know, why are you out? What are you doing? Um, it's people like you who are spreading this disease, uh, and yeah. I was just sitting around in a park by myself. I wasn't near a soul, and um, and it struck me at the time: this is just craziness. This is absolute insanity. And I said, "Well, what are you doing?" And he said, "Well, I'm a key worker." And the key worker phrase—I well, think we all know that now, right? I don't know if you had that in in uh, Australia. Yeah, yeah we but did. Key worker was a term that uh, you know applied to pretty much anyone, and it was a sort of um, get out of jail free card. In that if you're a key worker you could kind of get about and do your thing as you normally would and so he claimed this key worker status and um and i just thought this is absolutely nuts i've got to do something here yeah i'd never been so happy to be a, an internet provider and still have a registered internet business and being part right. of that essential service i just i yeah. just got around everywhere without my mask i didn't care i went interstate to watch uh, football games i wasn't going to subject my son to any of that him and i just went everywhere yeah. During most of it, it was absolutely ludicrous. And mate, tell me who are some of the more interesting people that you've you've got a chance to 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 get inside their head. Yeah. Um, well, Katie, Katie for one, Katie was great to meet. Um, uh, Fred and Richard from Right Said Fred, uh, great guys. Um, it was it was wonderful to spend some time with them. Um, Danny Rampling, I don't know how 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 familiar your audience will be with Danny Rampling, but um, you know, big kind of worldwide DJ um, from sort of I suppose at the height of his career in the nineties. Um, 
a fantastic guy to meet, you know, lucky enough to spend some time with him um, just chatting. And, you know, what I found was almost everyone that I spoke to, particularly for Portraits of the Resistance, um, was very free with their opinions and open about how they felt about what was going on. And, um, I, you know, I was lucky enough that that really resonated with me. And um, it was a great way to... I don't know about get inside people's heads, but certainly get inside people's emotions and understand where people were coming from. And it was a great uniting factor as well, because what you found is that, or at least what I found was that we were kind of coming from the same perspective, even though we'd come from very different paths in life. It must be rather cathartic when you get to talk to uh, like-minded people, get inside their head and not just do that, yeah. but of course, disseminate that in such an intuitive way that people realise that we're not really part of a minority at all. We're part of a, a, a larger group. And if it wasn't for people doing the work that you do, uh, many people would still feel that it is just them. Yeah, I think so too. And, and you know, I was finding that at the, at the beginning of the lockdown at the outset was um, you know, one of the primary things, and I think this is shared by many people, not just here, but abroad as well, um, trying to find the others, you know, I kind of would wake up every day and think, well, where are, where are the others? You know, there must be other people like me who are, who are against this, who are kind of just scratching their heads and thinking what the hell's going on here. Um, and, and so I sort of started reaching out and, and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to find everyone else and wanted to be part of, um, the group of people, which then subsequently emerged, uh, who, who were bucking that trend. Now, many of the people that uh, I notice that you're talking to, they're all people who are, uh, again, very, you know, well, I wouldn't say very, but they are in, seem to be conservative. They're free thinkers. They're truth tellers, such as yourself. Um, we're in lockstep. It doesn't matter if it's New Zealand, Australia. By the way, did you spend time in New Zealand? Yes, I'm from New Zealand. Oh, but, but I, yeah. I've got many uh, Kiwi I grew up mates. In New Zealand I'm, and I'm hearing Kiwi. I'm hearing. Yeah, yeah, you are. You are. You picked it right. I um yeah, I grew up in New Zealand, and uh, and then actually at the age of seventeen, I moved to Australia and spent many years in Australia, in Melbourne, and Sydney, and Brisbane. So um, I've I've kind of been around a bit. I, I had to ask because I mean I'm I'm hearing I'm hearing the Aussie big time, but then okay. I'm hearing the I'm hearing the EI switched around. Yeah, okay, it's, it's because of be you. The, the Australians coming out because I'm talking to you. That's funny. How long have you been in the UK for? I've been in the UK for nearly 20 years now. You must have been happy that, I mean, I think what happened in New Zealand under Jacinda Ardern, I think that was a horrific period of time and a place I used to go every year without fail, New Zealand. And even in 2007, it felt like Sydney in 1987. Yeah. It felt so great. It was such a terrific place to be. And I can't help but, but ask what led you from New Zealand, especially back in the good old days, over mm. to the UK? What what happened? Uh, I'm guessing a marriage or something. Uh Almost. Um, it was, well, I, I say almost, it wasn't really. Um, when I originally left New Zealand at the age of 17, I, I went to Australia and that was pretty whimsical, actually. I, I I left school. I didn't finish high school and I wanted to go out and live. I wanted to do stuff. And I had the opportunity to move to Australia. I had a friend of mine from high school that moved there and um, he said, hey, why don't you come and we'll share a flat in Melbourne? And um, and I did. I just, I, I wanted to get out and experience life. And so moved to Australia, um, spent the next sort of five or six years there um met a girl got married and uh, and then we decided to move to the uk which i'd always wanted to do my intention had originally been to go from uh, new zealand straight to the uk but um australia was calling so having spent those years in melbourne i, I can only imagine i mean that must have touched you um when you heard of what was happening i mean dan andrews yeah. i mean thank god he's gone now Absolutely. but i mean typically they're replaced by somebody who's just going to do the, the bidding of whoever's bidding it was uh yeah. prior 
Yeah, absolutely. It, it did definitely. And when I saw the images um, coming in of, of people, you know, on the streets in Melbourne being rounded up by the cops and, um, you know, basically being terrorised, yeah. um, I, I just thought of my time there. And I thought about, you know, what a great city Melbourne is and what a strong city Melbourne is. And um, and, and it was kind of brought to its knees by Dan Andrews, um, you know, that despicable in a despicable way. Yeah, I would imagine you're amassing um, a following and it's just going, oh, well, and if it's not, it should be going exponentially. I'm, I love Substack. You know, I've only recently just got onto Substack. Uh, Jason Olborn, yeah. who's one of our announcers, said, are you on Substack? I said, no, he said, you're missing out. You need to get on there. It's where the best stuff happens. And, um, you know, some people that I know now making some good money on there because people will pay for the truth. People will pay for well-written, well-researched articles. And, and hence, uh, you must be having a ball on there. I'm having a great time on there. I love Substack. Um, it's been, it, it it wasn't a platform that I originally thought of using. Um, and it wasn't until I started thinking about doing my own radio show. Um, I started thinking about trying to get out um, some of the material that I had um, got, you know, some of the images that I'd taken for Portraits of the Resistance that I thought, well, Substack's going to be the platform for me. Um, I had originally thought of a, of a book um but you know costs being prohibitive i decided that substack was going to be the platform for me and um i haven't put up a paywall so it's completely free um and will remain so uh for as long as i can sustain it but yeah are you enjoying the radio aspect of what you're doing i am yeah well, what i wanted to do is because i i i um i was kind of inspired actually by uh the likes of danny rampling and other djs and other radio personalities like katie um to start my own show and what i wanted to do was to do something that wasn't related specifically to journalism or to or to COVID, but that had guests who were quite prominent in the freedom movement. So um, I wanted to start a music show, which I did, um, which is called The Sound of the Resistance. So uh, you can see I'm sticking with the theme there. But yeah. Um, but yeah, I love it. I absolutely love it. I, 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 you can imagine, you know, when Mike, who um, you know, so runs TNT, gave me a call and said, "Mate, are you interested in a?" Uh, a couple of hours a day, you know, in between Chris Smith, one of our best known uh, commercial talkback radio guys and the internationally renowned Katie Hopkins. It was a no brainer to come yeah. on here and mate. subsequently, the thing I love is I get to meet terrific people such as yourself Absolutely. and um, I get to spread the word about people such as yourself so that they can go on it. And before we talk about anything else, I just want to uh, let people know uh, this link address, Kerry Murray Photography dot substack.com is where you'll find uh kerry murray and uh made some terrific photos as as well Thank you. um so w w do you are you chasing the stories or are they all happening around where you are or do you need to travel quite a lot to get to get to it um in terms of the uh, portrait series i traveled all over the uk for that um everyone's based in a different location and what i wanted to do was to with, with each of the subjects that i took um for that series, I I didn't want people to come to a studio. So I felt that that would feel quite unnatural. And given that most people from the series have got their own platforms, um, I wanted to do something a little bit different. So to kind of cast them in a slightly different light to the way that people are maybe used to seeing them. Um, so I would travel to people's homes mostly. Um, that was my preference was to shoot people in their homes or they're about somewhere nearby, but in, in a setting that um, they felt comfortable in. So for example, Danny Rampling, every day he's in the English Channel swimming. And that's not something that many people knew at the time. And so I wanted to capture him doing what he loves. So to sort of cast them outside of the COVID narrative, outside of what they've been doing and speaking out into something a bit more personal. Yeah. When, when you started doing it, did you see it 
coming to where you are now or did it just it just take on a life of its own yeah i had no idea i mean my primary objective was really to meet these people um and and then it became about you know uh sort of capturing them as um a part of this movement as um as a as a kind of um record really i've got to ask you this question being you know an expat new zealander has it occurred to you to go back to new zealand and do what you're doing from there because i I would love i would absolutely love to see that yeah absolutely um so the portrait series that i'm doing now will conclude there's there's uh gosh there's a lot of content to come um there's a lot of shoots that i did i think i did maybe around 20 different people um so there's a there's a ton to come and after that i really want to do an international series because there's just so many people that i would love to meet there's so many characters and um and faces that i kind of i I want to record i'll tell you what kerry murray you are well we've got to meet via via this online world i'd hope to meet you in person at one point i think the work you're doing sure we will then wonderful kerry murray thank you for coming on there everyone listening make sure whatever you do get on there and check out his article about katie hopkins who's coming up in about Four minutes on this program. Kerry Murray, I thank you for your time. We'll do this again at some point. See you, mate. Thanks so much, Dean. A pleasure. All right, everyone, stick around for Katie Hopkins. I'll be back tomorrow. I'll catch you then.